0: Could could list, count them off of my hands, the men, the teachers in my life that have changed my life, that have been fundamental in forming me to be who I am today. And I am proud to say that Dr. Flippin is not only a teacher that I had at Christendom College, but has become a friend. Because as I sat in his classes, we went to Rome together and spent an entire semester in Rome. As we sat in those classes together, as I learned from him, he taught the truth. And when we as human beings learn the truth, we learn about ourselves. Because we are made in the image and likeness of God, who is truth itself. So with that said, it is a great honor for me to introduce to you a great professor and a good friend, Dr. Douglas Slickman.
1: much. Sabatino referred to some of the writings of St. Paul on marriage as offensive to some people. Tonight we will be starting to talk about St. Thomas Aquinas who lived in the 13th century. St. Thomas was also offensive to many people many people of his own day and age. As a matter of fact, St. Thomas wound up being attacked by people on both sides. This is just to prepare you for what is to come. This first, in this first of three talks, I'd like to say something about who St. Thomas was, Um, at what period of time how he fits into history the time in which he lived what his significance is coming when he did in history because God has special people born at different periods of time in order to do something unique at that point in time Each of us is like that. Each of us was born at a particular time and place for a reason. But sometimes we can see with great people, great thinkers, we can see why that person was born and lived and did what he did in that particular period of of, of time. So for this first talk, I'd just like to talk about St. Thomas himself, how he fits into history and what I think is significant about him as a thinker. Then, in the next two talks, I would like to take what I think is uh, the central central point in St. Thomas' teaching about the nature of reality and to show how he used that in, in explaining human nature and in explaining human thought and in, in the final talk I'd like to take that same central point of St Thomas and look at how he how he used that 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 thought to say something about God how we can prove that God exists and to say a couple of things to to help us to make some sense out of mysteries that go Beyond what we can rationally comprehend. Okay. Today's talk is focusing on St. Thomas. I'm going to break it up into a number of different parts. First, I'm going to give you a physical description of St. Thomas from his own day and age. Secondly, a short sketch of his life focusing on the legends. That is the stories that were told that... People love to hear because they've made him stand out, made him sound significant. Most of these stories are true. Some of them may not be true because mm, people often embellish the truth a little bit in order to make someone sound better than he was. And people did have, people have always had this habit. People had the habit during this period of time also. You had someone that you regarded as a saint. In order to make him sound even more like a saint, you took stories that you'd heard about other saints and you repeated them about the person that you wanted to emphasize. The same thing probably happened about St. Thomas. Then, after going over these legends or famous stories about St. Thomas, I'd like to say something about him very briefly. As a saint, then as a theologian, then as a philosopher. Then I'd like to stop for a minute and take a look at the testimony that a few popes down through the centuries have given about the thought of St. Thomas, his importance to the Catholic Church. Then I would like to focus on the last two points, first on the way in which Thomas was historically significant in his own day and age, what I think that God in particular was calling him to do in the 13th century, and then I'd like to end up indicating how, within what God was calling St. Thomas to do within the 13th century, St. Thomas's thought also penetrated so deeply into the nature of reality that he saw, he saw more and more, more clearly what enables us to understand reality, what enables us to argue our way to the existence of God, what enables us to say something about the relationship between God and ourselves. I'd like to focus on, on, on what I think is a very central point in his thought so as to pre- prepare the way for the next two talks. Okay. So, let's begin. A physical description of St. Thomas. He was a giant. <laughs> he was described, this is for, for the 13th century. Not for now. He was described as being well over six feet in height. Erect of bearing. Fat. One fellow described him as very fat. <laughs> <laughs> Handsome. Bald in the front. The hair that he had was sparse. His head was large. His skin was the color of ripe wheat. One witness, who was the mother of one of St. Thomas's confreres or associates in the Dominican order, said that the peasants who were working in the fields when St. Thomas was walking somewhere down a road, the peasants would stop working and would come to look at St. Thomas if he were walking by just because they were struck by this man. One, his size, but also, she specified, because of his beauty, he was just a handsome man. There was something beautiful about him. Okay, enough of that. And Thomas was not that uh, because he overate, um, he often forgot to eat. There was a Dominican who was assigned to him for the whole of his career to help him out in a variety of ways because they recognized very early on that there was something unique about Thomas, that he was an extremely intelligent person. So he had an assistant, an associate, who stayed with him the whole time he was in the Dominican order. And th- this this man, as time went on, often had to prod Thomas to eat during the meal because Thomas would just get abstracted in thought and would completely forget to eat. And someone might take the food away from him in front, front of him, and he, he wouldn't even notice it. So he fasted. He fasted as the friars regularly did. He often forgot to eat. He was still big. Okay. The legends about Saint Thomas. Before St. Thomas was even born, we are told, a holy hermit, friar, (coughs) living in the neighborhood, came to see St. Thomas' mother and predicted something about what he would be like, what his vocation would be, before he was born. This may very well not be true. This kind of story is told a little bit too often. What is true is that um, the pope who was reigning at the time St. Thomas was born was his godfather. That is, he acted as St. Thomas's godfather. Not in person, but by proxy, but still it's it's impressive to have a pope as your godfather. This was <laughs> Pope Honorius III. Then when St. Thomas was very young, and um, I'll tell you, he had four... Um, he had four older brothers I'm sorry three older brothers and he had five sisters one sister um, was quite young and when St. Thomas was quite young he and his sister and St. Thomas's nurse were all sleeping near one another in the same room lightning came through the window of the castle in which these people were living and struck and killed St Thomas's sister left his nurse and himself completely unharmed another story that's told about him was that as a young child he had they wanted to give him a bath one time and he had a scrap of parchment in his hand and they wanted to take it away from him and he w- he wasn't going to let go of it and it, it turned out that on this scrap of parchment um, the words Ave Maria, that is Hail Mary, were written. Is this true? Mm-hmm. We don't know. Um, since Saint Thomas was the fourth son in the family, and the first three sons had all gone into the military to serve the ruler, you have to remember Saint Thomas's family were um, noble. That is, they belonged to what um, they—they were part of the nobility. The higher, um, the higher classes. Um, three of his br- brothers had gone to serve the ruler, the secular ruler. Um, but St. Thomas, as the fourth son, was destined for the church. So at the age of five, St. Thomas was taken to the famous Benedictine monastery of Monte Cassino. Now, you may think, um, this isn't quite fair, taking some kid five years old from the monastery. I mean, he doesn't even have a, a choice. But the understanding was, um, once he was old enough, he, the responsibility was up to him to either go along with this, to accept it, to freely choose it, or to reject it and choose something else. But for the time being his family put him in the Benedictine Monastery of Monte Cassino. He remained there from age 5 to age 14. While he was still quite young in the Benedictine Monastery in Monte Cassino, he is supposed to have asked an older monk at one point, what is God? What is God? And the significance of this is that question consumed St. Thomas. For the whole of his life. He spent his whole life trying to understand what is God. <clears throat> when he was 14, he had to leave the Benedictine monastery because it was in danger <clears throat> from the secular ruler, Frederick II. Um, and a number of, of monks would have left the, the monastery at that time. St. Thomas was sent by his family to Naples to continue his studies, his intellectual formation. He remained in Naples studying from about age 14 to about age 19. At the age of 19, St. Thomas had discovered the Dominicans, and he joined the Dominicans on his own, not asking his family's permission. Um, he would not have wanted to ask his family's permission. You would think he would be old enough not to have to ask his family's permission. But the distressing thing was his family would never have wanted him to join the Dominicans. The Dominicans and the Franciscans at that time were known as the begging friars. They begged what a lot of what they needed in order to eat, in order to get by, and this would have been a scandal. to Thomas's family. This is the third their nobility. They wanted him to join the Benedictines and eventually become the abbot of a great Benedictine monastery. And Thomas joins a bunch of beggars, religious beggars, but in a, 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 an order of Dominicans. And this was this was a, this was scandalous to his family. The Dominicans knew what was likely to happen, so they whisked him out of Naples fairly quickly and headed him on the road um, out of Italy or Paris with a couple of other Dominicans. Well, it didn't take St. Thomas's mother too long to find out what was going on, and she was hot on his trail, and then when it seemed that, that she wouldn't catch up with him, she sent word ahead to his two older brothers who were in the military at the time, and they waylaid Thomas and the other two Dominicans and took him a prisoner, you might say. And they, they, brought, they brought him back to the family castle. Incidentally, St. Thomas was born in Baraka Seca, and that's where they eventually brought him back. Famous story that is told that pertains to this period in time, was that in order to discourage St. Thomas from this vocation to the Dominicans, at least one, if not both of his brothers, went a bit too far. Different people in the family had already tried to persuade him to leave the Dominicans with no success. Um, One of his brothers introduced a prostitute into St. Thomas's room, tried to dissuade him from his religious vocation. St. Thomas went over to the fireplace and grabbed a piece of wood that was on fire and advanced on the lady until she left the room in a hurry. (laughs) He went to Paris his family finally gave in to his decision to be a Dominican. He went to Paris, stayed there for about three years studying, then went with St. Albert the Great to Cologne, Germany. He was continuing his studies at Cologne in Germany. A story that is told about, about him at this time was that because he sat in class, he didn't say anything. He just sat there. He was so big, he didn't look that bright, some people. They, they called him the dumb ox. He was big enough to be an ox. And since he didn't say anything, they figured he, he was just sitting there, taking up space. He really wasn't following what was going on. So one student offered to help him out. But then the student who offered to help him out ran into trouble trying to explain something to St. Thomas. And then Thomas finally spoke up and very carefully and clearly explained to the student what he was trying to explain to St. Thomas. He explained it so clearly, so, so, so clearly and in such detail that the student was floored and realized what mistake that he had made um, in assuming St. Thomas's stupidity. St. Albert, not too long after that, is supposed to have announced to the students that the bellowing of this dumb ox would eventually be heard throughout the world because St. Albert, having been with St. Thomas for a while, realized what a genius he was, um, how capable he was. Another little point about St. Thomas. He was extremely sensitive In terms of touch, he was so sensitive to pain that he was more affected by other people with the ordinary medical practices of the time. You had to go to the doctor every now and then to have leeches applied to have some blood drawn out of you to get get the bad blood out of you. And um, this actually isn't as stupid as it sounds, but <laughs> n- l- leave that go. Uh, but St. Thomas found these medical practices somewhat painful. And um, he, 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 he simply told people, uh, just warn me when they're going to do something so that I can take care of it. And what he meant by taking care of it was he would simply lose himself in thought about some problem. And then he wouldn't feel a thing. Mm-hmm. He had this ability to be so abstracted in thought, so focused on on something in thought, that he could ignore minor physical pains. As intellectual as St. Thomas was, he was a very popular preacher. The Dominicans were a preaching order. They were the order of preachers. St. Thomas was an extremely popular teacher. In Germany, in France and in his native Italy. This means that besides the the Latin that he learned very well, he also must have known German, he must have known French, and he must have known Italian. How else could you be such a popular preacher with the majority of, of people who did not speak and understand Latin? St. Thomas was also a very good poet, something we rarely think about, even though the, Pope, the only poetry he ever wrote, he wrote out of obedience to the Pope, who asked him to write the whole liturgy for a new feast in the church, the feast of the celebration of Corpus Christi. St. Saint, Saint Thomas wrote the... Liturgy, wrote all the the hymns the, in, in in poetic form uh, for the new feast of Corpus Christi, and some a number of people down through the ages have decided that this poetry is just beautiful. Some some part of it you're probably familiar with is um, uh, something you hear. Um, Regularly, it's the Tantum Ergo. The, the Tantum Ergo is the last two verses of the Pange Lingua, which St. Thomas is, is the author of. Also, the Adorote, Adorote Devote, St. Thomas had also written that. He was the counselor or theologian to Pope Urban IV. And during the time he was counselor to the Pope, this is in the 1260s. One Christmas Eve, St. Thomas, this would have been in Italy, St. Thomas engaged in a long discussion about the faith with two prominent Jewish rabbis of Rome. At the end of the day, the Jewish rabbis still didn't seem quite convinced. So Thomas knew knowing, rather, that reason can just get you so far sometimes when you're trying to convert someone, went home that Christmas Eve and spent the whole night praying for those two rabbis after having agreed to meet them. The next day, Christmas Day, the next day the two rabbis were received into the Catholic faith. Near the very end of his life, couple of stories left to go. This was December the 6th, 1273. This would have been the Feast of St. Nicholas. The sacristan of the Dominican convent in Naples, Italy, saw Thomas praying in front of the crucifix in the chapel of St. Nicholas. And um, something unusual about Thomas' praying at that point in time was um, St. Thomas wasn't standing on the floor. He was a few feet in the air. He, he, he was levitating. He was raised in, in the air praying before the Blessed Sacrament. The sacristan who saw this heard Words coming from the crucifix directed at St. Thomas. Bene scripsisti de me, Toma, quam ergo mercedem acipies. You have written well of me, Thomas. What reward will you accept or do you want? And the sacristan heard St. Thomas reply Nothing except yourself, Lord. St. Thomas had just finished writing that part of his famous work, the Summa Theologiae, dealing with the Holy Eucharist. And our Lord was um, telling St. Thomas that he had had done well. One reason St. Thomas would have very likely written well um, about the Holy Eucharist, besides the fact that he was completely in love with God and was a very learned man, was before St. Thomas ever sat down to write anything on any topic. He prayed. He asked for help specifically in understanding and in making sense of it and and, and, and in explaining things. Then at the very end of his life, St. Thomas made a general confession. a person he had known for a long time within within the Dominican order his confessor is supposed to have come out of this general confession that St. Thomas had made almost crying saying to himself oh my God in all his life the sins of a five year old finally after Thomas died he, died, he began his career in a Benedictine abbey. He, he, he joins the Dominicans, but he dies in a Cistercian abbey. The Cistercians are Reformed Benedictines. The sub-prior at the Cistercian abbey at Fasanova, who was partially blind, was cured of his partial blindness simply by touching the body of St. Thomas after St. Thomas's death and before they had washed his body. Okay, that's enough of a sketch of St. Thomas' life. A short, few short comments about St. Thomas as a saint. Every now and then you hear someone described as a God-intoxicated man. Well, St. Thomas was certainly a God-intoxicated man. He was in love with God from an early age, and at the end of his life, one of his sisters, Thomas was very fond of, asked him point blank how to become a saint. Saint Thomas answered her in two words. What do you think? Of God. God. Love God. Will it? Oh, God. Will it? Oh, it's your choice. It's your choice. Will it. St. Thomas had willed to be a saint himself, that this is so may be seen in the words with which he himself sums up his life at the end of his life. He's dying. He knows he's dying in order to receive the last rites, he asks, to be laid on the floor, as St. Dominic himself, the founder of the Dominicans, had done. And Thomas, before receiving the Holy Eucharist, says, I receive you, the prince of my soul's redemption, and the viaticum of my pilgrimage, for whom I have studied, watched, and learned. You have I preached. You have I taught. Against you I have never spoken, neither am I wedded to my own opinion. If I have held anything which is untrue, I subject it to the judgment of the Holy Roman Church, in whose obedience I now pass from this life. And a couple of words on St. Thomas as a theologian. Now, I guess one, one, one quick final word on St. Thomas as, as a saint. Um, many people recognized that there was something very holy about St. Thomas, even though they might violently disagree with some of the things that he thought and taught, they still thought that he was a very, a very good man. But on St. Thomas as a theologian. St. Thomas was formally a theologian. Not a philosopher, but formally he was a theologian. A theologian is one who takes the truth of revelation, special revelation of God through the prophets and through Christ, takes this for granted as true. Then takes God as the subject of his science and uses all other human knowledge to understand and elaborate on revelation. Saint Thomas was not, strictly speaking, a philosopher, he was a he was a theologian. Even though his often he is often highly praised as a philosopher, and you can evaluate him as a philosopher, but we must never forget the fact that for the most part Saint Thomas was formally a theologian. Just that being a theologian for St. Thomas included being a philosopher. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So you can have both, or St. Thomas thought you could be both at the same time. So there is little that St. Thomas wrote that is not formally theological in nature. Much of what is called the philosophy of St. Thomas is contained within his formally theological works. Now, the scriptures, which contain the bulk of the special revelation of God to man, contain two kinds of truths, both of which are aimed at providing us what is very useful for our salvation. First, kind of truths contained in scripture are those which are not naturally knowable by human beings. The only way we could know them is if God revealed them to us. Example? But God is a trinity of persons. How can, we, how can we come to understand something like this on our own? The second kind of truth, which is contained, scriptures, are those which are naturally knowable by human beings. We can figure some things out on our own, but it's still revealed to us. And it is precisely because a number of revealed truths are naturally knowable by human beings that the theologian can also be a philosopher. The philosopher deals with what's naturally knowable. The theologian focuses especially on what is not naturally knowable, but what we know, we say we know, only because God revealed it to us. But some of the things God revealed to us we could have figured out on our own. It's just that most of us would have made too many mistakes doing so, or we don't have the time to do it, or maybe we don't have the ability to do it. So God revealed things that we could discover on our own so that it would be easier for the vast majority of us. So it's precisely because a number of revealed truths are naturally knowable by human beings that the theologian can also be a philosopher. He can deal with what is naturally knowable, even while he's acting as a theologian. He can have an earnest desire to show in his theology that we can demonstrate, we as human beings, using what is naturally knowable by us, we can demonstrate those revealed truths which are naturally knowable. A quick example is just that God exists. We can prove that God exists. Thomas was this kind of theologian. A theologian who was also a philosopher.
2: Alright everyone, turn off, All right. really? <laughs> turn off your
1: cell phones. Turn off your cell phones. Next, a few words about St. Thomas as a philosopher. For a good bit of time in the 20th century, St. Thomas was hailed as a philosopher. So let's consider how, other than what I've just told you, St. Thomas can be called a philosopher. We can call him a philosopher for a number of reasons. A philosopher is just someone who is focusing on what is naturally knowable by us as human beings, and he's looking for ultimate explanations of different aspects of reality. So, for example, a philosophy of business asks the ultimate question you can ask about business. What are you doing as a businessman? Are you primarily out to make money or are you primarily out to make a good product or provide a good service? Which is it? Because One of them is going to be subordinated to the other. So this kind of ultimate question in any area of reality is typically called a philosophical question. Okay, St. Thomas can be called a philosopher for a number of reasons. One, he wrote a small number of short but strictly philosophical treatises, among which the work entitled On, Being, and Essence. On, Being, and Essence is probably the most famous. Two, He wrote very insightful commentaries on a number of strictly philosophical works. In particular, the works of Aristotle, who lived in the fourth century before Christ. Never heard a word of revelation. Thomas commented on the thought of Aristotle and on the writings of Aristotle, and he commented on them as philosophical works. A third reason St. Thomas can be called a philosopher. He was concerned to demonstrate the truth of the naturally knowable contents of revelation. A fourth reason that St. Thomas can be called a philosopher is even when St. Thomas is dealing with and in trying to explain or trying not, not trying to explain, trying to gain some clarity on revealed truths that go beyond what we can naturally know. Even, when he's, even when, he, when he's dealing with these, he introduces a lot of philosophical reasoning into what he's saying, to try to make some sense, to throw some light using naturally knowable truths on items of revelation that, that go beyond us for example if you're trying to, if you're trying to make s- some sense of how Christ can be one person with two natures you can use some naturally knowable knowledge to try to make some sense out of that or if you're trying to be trying to gain some if, you, if you're trying to throw some light on the mystery of the trinity you can use philosophy or naturally knowable knowledge to do that, Thomas did did a lot of that. Enough on Thomas as a philosopher. Next, a quick rundown on the testimony of many popes to the significance of St. Thomas. First, in his own day, while he was still alive, St. Thomas was. A counselor or a theologian, two different popes, showing that they they valued him for his thought, what he could do, how he could help them. First, he was the pope's theologian for Pope Urban IV in the 1260s, early 1260s. Then, he was also the counselor, philosopher, and friend Pope Clement IV in the later 1260s. Then about 49 years after his death, it's interesting, St. Thomas lived to the age of 49 and then 49 years later he gets canonized. In 1323, Pope John XXII, if you're familiar with Pope John XXIII perhaps, Pope John the 22nd on July the 18, 1323, at the canonization of Saint Thomas, states, "Quote: Thomas alone has illuminated the Church more than all the other doctors together. His philosophy." It's interesting, the Pope referred to his thought as philosophy. His philosophy can have proceeded only from some miraculous action of God. A century, a little more than a century later, Pope Clement VI in 1346 exhorted the order of preachers, that is the Dominicans, never to deviate from St Thomas's teaching. A couple of hundred years after this, 1567, Pope Pius V proclaimed Thomas a doctor of the church. In 1594, Pope Clement VIII recommended the Jesuits, that is, the Society of Jesus, to adhere to Thomas's teaching. Closer to our own times, in 1879, August the 4th, Pope Leo XIII, in an encyclical called A Tyranny Patris, wrote, Now above all the doctors of the schools, same kind of statement. Now above all the doctors of the schools towers Thomas Aquinas, the leader and master of them all, who, as Cajetan observes, Cajetan had been a commentator on the thought of St. Thomas, who, as Cajetan observes, quote, because he had the utmost Cajun was talking about St. Thomas because he, Thomas, had the utmost reverence for the doctors of antiquity seems to have inherited in a way the intellect of all St. Thomas St. Thomas thoroughly studied and absorbed the thought of the great thinkers of antiquity and seemed to have Absorbed whatever was truthful, whatever was worthwhile in them. So he says he seemed to, have, in a way, to have inherited the intellect of all. And then Pope Leo the Thirteenth continues: He may be compared to the sun. And Saint Thomas in art is represented with the sun on his breast. It's like his intellectual light is like is compared to the light of the sun. He may be compared to the sun, for he warmed the world with the warmth of his virtues and filled it with the radiance of his teaching. Pope Leo XIII proclaimed Thomas the official teacher of the church and commanded that all Catholic institutions follow his system. It didn't happen. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Enough of testimonies from the popes. Now a word on St. Thomas's significance. Why does he come? Where he does in time. What was going on? In the thirteenth century that God raised up someone so brilliant and what did he do that someone that brilliant could do at that point in time? What was happening in the late 12th, early 13th centuries was that the thought of Aristotle one of the greatest philosophers who ever lived. The thought of Aristotle was being translated into Latin. Unfortunately, um, it was often coming into Latin um, as already having been added to, colored by someone else's thought, namely the thought of a number of Arabic or Muslim thinkers. So the thought of St. Thomas is being translated into Latin. Aristotle's a genius. I, 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 it, it's, it's, the thought of Aristotle is being translated in, in, into Latin from different sources. Aristotle is an incredible genius also, and yet Aristotle's thought is not being presented pure, it's being presented as it had been slightly altered, commented on um, by one or more Arabic thinkers, and um, it's causing problems. Because a number of the things that Aristotle had to say both on his own and as altered by these Arabic thinkers came into flat contradiction at some points with the Catholic faith. So Aristotle would have been perceived the thought of Aristotle would have been perceived as a threat to the church. Here's this person who is one of the greatest Geniuses in terms of just natural thought, who whose mind was encyclopedic, who commented on, wrote about so many different aspects of reality and, and and did it well. He seemed to some people to be almost the very incarnation of human reason, leaving revelation aside. No 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 grace, no revelation. Aristotle seemed to some people almost the incarnation of reason. Imagine this person's thought coming into conflict on a number of points with the, with the faith. This is what it looks like. What are you going to do? Well, for a while, the works of Aristotle were banned in cert- certain parts of Christendom. Local con- there were local condemnations by different bishops telling people, you know, unless you had a special dispensation, you had no business reading Aristotle's works. It's like a danger to the faith. Thomas, St. Thomas, having studied in Naples, then in Paris, then in Cologne, Germany, had grown up reading Aristotle in places where his writings were at a time when Aristotle's writings weren't, were not banned. St. Thomas knew the thought of Aristotle pretty well. And St. Thomas realized that, this, that this, this man had a lot to say that was true about the nature of reality. There was a lot that could be useful to the Catholic Church. And yet... The theologians, a lot of theologians, wanted nothing to do with Aristotle because he, on some points, he seemed to come into conflict with the faith. What made matters complex here was not just that the thought of Aristotle seemed simply, on some certain issues, to come into conflict with the faith what they came more into conflict with was the faith as it had been elaborated by St. Augustine. And what you have to understand is St. Augustine was an intellectual giant in his own right. To a lot of theologians, St. Augustine's word was true. Almost because St. Augustine had said it. It had to be true. True. So, the problem St. Thomas was faced with was this. He has read Aristotle. He realizes Aristotle has a lot to say that will help us to understand reality and will help us to interpret the scriptures. And yet, there are some points in which the thought of Aristotle seems to be coming into conflict with the faith he realized the thought of Aristotle came even in, into an even stronger conflict with the writings of St. Augustine, so that the theologians were ready to condemn him, and to condemn his thought, and to condemn anyone who was defending Aristotle. St. Thomas thought that he had to uphold the faith. He had to uphold whatever was true in Augustine, but he also thought that he needed to uphold what was true in Aristotle, Because God gave us reason. If God gave us reason, what reason can discover to be true is like general revelation. And what what comes in the scriptures is like a special revelation. Well, God can't be contradicting what he says here with what he says here. Thomas was convinced that what really could be known to be true by reason could not come into conflict with what we know to be true by faith. So Thomas was confident that what he could discover to be true in Aristotle had to be able to be reconciled with what was true by the faith. The problem was St. Augustine. St. Augustine had been influenced not by Aristotle, but by Plato. Aristotle often disagreed with one another. So, here's the situation you've got in the 13th century. A lot of theologians understand the faith through the thought of St. Augustine who had been influenced somewhat by Plato and the Platonists, and St. Thomas sees that Aristotle's thought is more comprehensive, more coherent, um, more realistic, deeper at many points than the thought of Plato was. And just as St. Augustine had used the thought of Plato to try to a- elaborate on and make more sense of the faith, St. Thomas was inclined to do that same thing with Aristotle. <coughs> but the theologians weren't going to have anything to do with it because they were all. Augustinians. They they agreed with Augustine. And in agreeing with Augustine, they had one foot firmly planted in the faith. Unfortunately, they had another foot firmly planted in what was somewhat influenced by the thought of Plato. And they didn't know it. It wasn't that clear to them. What was, you know, what was the faith what was Augustine having been influenced by the thought of Plato? So St. Thomas, just as St. Just, just Augustine, you might say, had baptized the thought of Plato to use it for the Church, St. Thomas wanted to baptize the thought of Aristotle to use it for the sake of the Church. Well, he wound up being attacked by people on two different sides. He wound up being attacked by the theologians who were sticking with St. Augustine, who had been influenced by Plato. I'm I'm not saying that St. Augustine is an out-and-out Platonist. Don't don't, don't get me wrong. But there are a number of things that that St. Augustine had to say that were influenced by Plato and the thought of Plato. And it clearly comes out in many of his writings. But St. Thomas was going to be attacked by the Augustinian theologians. And on the other side, he was going to be attacked... By the people who were not theologians, who were straightforward philosophers, who wanted to defend Aristotle as it had been interpreted by certain Muslim thinkers or Arabic thinkers. So here's Aristotle as seen through the eyes of certain Muslim thinkers. And a number of philosophers are defending Aristotle, an Arab, Arabicized, an, um, an Islamicized, slightly Islamicized Aristotle. Uh, here, here's, here's a number of philosophers who understand Aristotle insofar as his thought has come through certain Islamic thinkers. Here's the Augustinian theologians who are standing for the faith, but also standing for the thought of Plato as mixed up with the faith. And Thomas is caught in between the two of them. He's trying to separate the thought of Aristotle from the Islamic thinkers so that he could use Aristotle's undiluted, his, his pure thought, to elaborate Revelation, to combine it with with, with Revelation, to use it to interpret and understand as much as we can of Revelation, just as St. Augustine had used the thought of Plato or the Platonists to understand Revelation in, in his own day and age. So Thomas was in the middle trying to defend both faith and reason. The theologians were suspicious of reason because they saw it coming to them in the guise of this Aristotle as seen through the eyes of certain Arabic thinkers. So the Augustinian theologians were standing firm for the faith, but unfortunately to some extent they were also defending a platonic, a somewhat platonic understanding of the faith, Here's the philosophers on the other side who are standing for reason. They see reason as embodied or incarnate in Aristotle. Unfortunately, they don't have a a straightforward account of Aristotle. Their understanding Aristotle is somewhat diluted or tainted by the thought of of, of, of a couple of thinkers, specifically Avicenna and Averroes. And here's Thomas caught in the middle and he's getting getting attacked from both sides. So the, the genius... The reason why St. Thomas seems to appear at this point in time is that Aristotle, in the thought of Aristotle, really did need to be baptized. That is, it needed to be taken and used to understand, to interpret the scriptures as much as that was possible to do so. And and St. Thomas was able to do this better than anyone else at the time. So he, he stood firm defending the rights of reason and the rights of faith, and since he saw more of reason in Aristotle than he saw in Plato, he wanted to use Aristotle to elaborate, to interpret, to understand the Scriptures rather than the thought of, of Plato. He had a really tough job ahead of him, but that is what some people think is why he appeared when and where he did in history. As someone who was championing both faith and reason, and trying to bring the two of them close together, reason as largely found in the thought of Aristotle, faith as in as contained in the scriptures. One last point. May I ask a question? Yes. You uh, use the words faith and the church interchange Interchangeable. Faith and what? The church. The church. Okay. Uh, the conflict that Aristotle had with said, the faith and the church. How about Christianity? Was
2: it in conflict with Christianity or was it. Was Aristotle,
1: some of the things that Aristotle says are clearly in conflict with the Bible, with the scriptures. Some of the things. Many more of the things that Aristotle seems to say when he's seen through the eyes of Avicenna and Averroes, a couple of Muslim thinkers, many more of the things they seem to be saying come into conflict with the faith when you see him through those people's eyes. St. Thomas wanted to correct the thought of Aristotle where it needed to be corrected to separate him from those Islamic thinkers, and then to use everything that was valuable in Aristotle to help to make sense of, to understand, to elaborate on the scriptures. Okay. One final point. St. Thomas actually deepened in baptizing the thought of Aristotle he deepened Aristotle's understanding and his vision of reality. He deepened and extended, corrected the thought of Aristotle at a time in history when it was absolutely crucial to do so. And the way in which he did this involves making a distinction which we will have to go into next time. I will simply state it now and we will bring it up later. St. Thomas made a distinction which turned out to be extremely fruitful, which enabled him to accept the thought of Aristotle and yet deepen it in such a way that he could use it very clearly to prove the existence of God. The distinction that St. Thomas made was... Called the distinction between essence and existence, between what something is and the fact that it is. Seems like a very simple distinction to make. We ask two different questions about things what is it? Does it exist? This distinction Thomas makes in such a way that takes him to the very heart. Of reality and enables him to prove that God exists. And he puts this, this understanding of his underneath the thought of Aristotle. So it's come up with an even deeper vision, a deeper understanding of reality than was available through Aristotle. And that's all I have to say.
0: got five minutes and five questions, whatever comes quicker. We cut it off after five minutes or five questions. And for you that are asking the questions, your question must be one sentence long and it must have a question mark at the end of it. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Um,
1: you were saying that uh, airstone was being translated into Latin and that they were... Uh, guided commentaries and poor translations by Arabist thinkers. So was Thomas Aquinas, did he then read Aristotle in the original so that he was able to correct those misrepresentations? No. um, St. Thomas ran into a fellow Dominican who knew Greek much better than Thomas did. Thomas convinced this fellow Dominican to translate the major works of Aristotle straight from the Greek into the Latin. The problem was Aristotle had been translated into maybe one language after another before he was finally being translated into in the Latin, and many corruptions had crept into the text. Mm-hmm. So St. St. Thomas got, got this, this fellow Dominican, who was very good at Greek, to translate the, the, um, the works of Aristotle just straight from the Greek. He used Thomas used those for his commentaries and his understanding of Aristotle. Yes, ma'am.
2: Would you give an example uh, of a way which uh, Islamic thought colored one of Aristotle's concepts or arguments?
1: okay oh dear. <laughs> um, yes an example um, Aristotle has a conception of God and um, Unfortunately, Aristotle's God is just one among a number of gods all of whom are very similar and Aristotle's God doesn't create anything or his gods don't create anything they are just models of perfection for an eternal universe so this is a clear problem for the, for, for the Christians one, this god or these gods are no creators and, and, and secondly there's a number of them um, uh, thirdly, the universe is eternal. This is all clearly Aristotle. But what one of the Arabic thinkers had done was he, con- he connected um, Aristotle's God to material reality through a chain of subordinate agents that, that seemed to dilute the whole notion of, 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 of creation. Aristotle, Aristotle's God doesn't create. The world just exists and that's it. Um, but but the, 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 one of the two Arabic thinkers had this long, long, long chain of intermediary agents in between God and physical reality and clearly claimed, in a way that Aristotle never claimed, that our destiny as human beings after we died was to be united to one of those lower intermediary agents. Um And there, there one of the other, one of the other Arabic thinkers held that uh, according to Aristotle, human beings were pure, purely animals and, and had no immortality whatsoever. Whereas in Aristotle himself we can find three arguments for the immortality of the human soul. Yes. Uh, so would uh, uh, uh confession that uh, uh, existence is an accident, would that be an example of, uh, of, an, of one of the errors introduced by Arabic philosophers? And if so, how does it impact uh, the way Islam uh, looks at reality today? I'm not claiming that Avicenna and ways were influencing the thought of Aristotle specifically as representatives of Islam. They happened to be Islamic thinkers. They, they weren't introducing specifically Islamic notions in their interpretations of Aristotle. What was happening was they were introducing um, Platonic or Platinian notions into their understanding of, 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 of Aristotle. Now. St. Thomas appreciated both of these fellows in their own right, Avicenna and Averroes. And from Avicenna, and he very much liked something about Avicenna's um, uh, notion of, of, of God as necessary being. Um, but he still thought that there were problems there in, 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 in Avicenna's notion. But, but when it came to Avicenna's conception of human nature, St. Thomas Thought that Aristotle enabled human beings to have a whole intellect. We we're, were complete as the natural beings we are. And everything that we need for our intellect to function is there in us. Avicenna and Veraways said that we're incomplete as intellectual beings. Veraways um, said we have no intellect at all. There's just one intellect for all the human beings, and it exists separate from us. And Avicenna said, um, uh, we have part of our intellect you know, part of what it is to, to be an intellect is in every human being the other part exists separate from us you know, and is one for all human beings and Thomas thought that you cannot find either of these clearly in Aristotle he thought Aristotle argued that you know, we're whole and complete as human beings and he thought this made more sense than what, what they had done to Aristotle